Hey everybody, this is Fred Ricciani of the Sports Courier Podcast. On this week's episode, we continue our interview with former WWE and WCW superstar Ernest the Cat Miller, also a former karate champion. We talk about his time in WCW working with the legend James Brown, as well as why his WWE run wasn't up to snuff. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this candid conversation. As a commissioner... And even before as a commissioner, you kept calling yourself the greatest, the greatest, the greatest. And for years, everybody was like, man, it'd be kind of cool if James Brown got involved one day and interrupted you and you guys did some kind of money angle or something because WCW is very big on angles with celebrities, whether it be like Jay Leno or Carl Malone or Dennis Rodman. So then in, in typical WCW fashion, I remember in a non-advertised appearance, out of the blue, I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was on a pay-per-view or something, James Brown just randomly yep. interrupted you. Man, you know what? The crowd wants... If they had pushed that thing, if they had pushed that thing and promoted it the way they should have promoted it, because, you know, I think at that time, Vince Russo and the guys, Dan, they didn't have that vision. You know, I had a vision. You know, and the vision was, you know, this is something right here where we can touch all walks of life, all different people. You know, and we got we got fans who are crossed over, but they really wasn't trying to cross over. I guess they looked at it and said, you know what? WCW got such a redneck fan base. <laughs> they are never white redneck fan base. They are never like the gimmick of James Brown coming in. That's why they didn't push it, I think. You know, but... That, that's crazy, I, though. That's crazy. James Brown's a legend. Who does, who does love James Brown? But you know, they just—I mean, you know—they had their heads up their asses, and that's what they were thinking. They just thought, you know, hey, I don't think they'll get with this, but let's try it on the pay-per-view. I said, okay, this is how I do it. I'll go out and I'll be late to all my matches, and I'll tell them I've been practicing for this big thing happening in San Francisco. I've got what what pay-per-view it was, Stampede, I think, uh, and you know, I've been practicing on with my new partner, Jane Brown, who gonna. He gonna meet me next week on the show. He don't show up. Then uh, I had an imposter to come out there. They act like he was Jane Brown. You know, they called up to him, pulled his wig off, and it wasn't Jane Brown. But the crowd was getting into it a little bit. I could sense that the crowd was getting into me lying, and and they was all he a liar, he a liar. So when we finally got him to show up at the pay per view, you should have seen the crowd. Not only. Not only was the crowd motivated and loud and pop loud, because I was telling the truth the whole time, they got to see James Brown. And then when he got in the ring and we had the little dance off, and now they see the original, where my dance came from and why I would do some of the stuff I was doing. Man, that crowd was going crazy in San Francisco. Just crazy. Matter of fact, he brought two cakes. I said, can you bring me a cake? He said, yes. He said, what color do you want? I said, I don't know. Just bring one, a red one, match my shoes. So he brought the red cake. So when he came, he said, listen, I brought two cakes. I brought a red one and a gold one, just in case you want to use those. So he said, okay, I'll put it on you. Then you just snatch it all like we always do. So anyway, he gave me those two cakes. He autographed them. He gave them to me. And, uh, you know, we went through the pay-per-view. After the pay-per-view, I remember the first person I ran into in the hall once I came through the curtain was Sting. 
And Steve said, Cat, you over. He said, that was the best and the best part of the pay-per-view right there. He said, that's what people want to be. They want to be entertained. He said, and Steve was like one of the ones who was always straight. Anybody to tell you, Steve was like the nicest, man, he's the nicest guy you ever wanted to meet, man. And his advice would really go a long ways because it come from his heart. So, you know, it wasn't like it came from Scott Norton, who probably would say something just to say it. Dirty, low-down, coward heels. All right, I'm I'm sorry. I got lost there for a second with Scott Norton. I no. got a little heat with Scott Norton. All good. <laughs> but, but, you know, Steve said that was the best part of uh, of the pay-per-view. I said, thank you, man. He just said it was entertaining. And, and, and it was, you know, and I felt good about it, man. You know, and... uh felt so good about it. I even felt better about it three years later, about five, five, six years later, when Jane Brown passed away and the guy called who was auctioned off all his his stuff from his house to raise money. And this guy right here said that the capes were worth $100,000 a piece because they were made by his original cape maker out of Ohio. Wow. That's nuts. I mean, that's that's uh, that's an incredible experience, and and you were with you know WCW to the end. I mean, you were dur- there during the hottest period. You were there during the down period. You were. I I, I think it's. I think you can make definitely make an argument. You were definitely one of the bright spots during that time when you know things were were kind of going down, especially with, with the James Brown deal and and the commissioner and feeling with the natural born throwers. And fast forward a, a couple years later, you end up in Vince McMahon's WWE a couple years after the invasion, but you start out as a commentator. Alongside Josh Matthews, as opposed to being a, a pro wrestler or a manager or any kind of personality, uh, commentating on Velocity. How'd that come about? You know what, man? I, <coughs> excuse me. I had made so much money, you know, working and stuff like that. I really didn't have to go back to wrestling. But, you know, John Ace called me and said, hey, why don't you come up here? We're going to take a look at you and... I came in, did a dark match, and they said, okay, we want to we bring you in. We're going to do this, do this, and do that. But you know what, man? Going up there was so totally different from what I was used to, and I knew nothing about the business. You know, at WCW, you know, you we had friends and family. It was like people would advise you and give you advice and tell, like, this going further, Ernest, you should do this. Tara Taylor, Ernest Tat, you should do this. You know, we created almost, it was almost like you knew who to go to to help to help you kind of get better, advance in, in what you're doing. But when you got the WWE, man, it was so quiet. It was like being at a, a totally new private school and you don't know anybody. You don't know enough about the business. So when they brought me in, and they said, we were going to make you this announcer and stuff like that, but we want you doing a whole bunch of other stuff because you can. You know, I said to myself, I was like, okay, that's great. That's great. I'd love to do that. But then once I got there, man, I started seeing how they were bringing these WCW guys in, and they were dropping them by the wayside. I said, these guys really don't want to do anything with these WCW guys. They don't want to do anything with us. They just want to have us on the contract so they can use our image and our likeness, you know, and, and, and what, what they were doing. So that's all, that's all that was. That was a period in my time to where 
I was just happy to say, hey, I was in WCW, worked in WCW, and I worked in WWE, the two biggest wrestling companies will ever be. And, and can you talk a little bit about that time period? Because you talked about before the Monday Night Wars. I mean, that's a cutthroat time. You were sharing a locker room with guys like Benoit and Guerrero and Hogan and Savage and just the biggest stars of the 80s, the biggest stars of the 90s, all you know coming together and maybe what was the most stacked roster in, in wrestling history. I don't think we may ever see that replicated. You go to WWE in the early mid-2000s, and they had a ridiculously talented roster as well, but it was kind of a down period in the business post-WCW. And that was during a time, too, and you talked about how WCW guys were kind of dropping like flies from WWE. If you look back during that time, and I'm sure you recall, like, they were, they were putting out new talent like almost every week, and they'd disappear. You know, you'd have the, the heartthrobs one week. They'd disappear. You know, you had a, a brief run in the ring. Bam, all of a sudden, cat's off TV. You know, this person's no, on. No, 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 I'm on. I'm on hold on. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to go on there, and I'm going to tell you a, a situation that kind of broke me. It kind of broke me. And when I said broke me, I've, I've never been the kind of person that didn't have the self-confidence or didn't have the motivation to be the best, I ever thought I was the best. But this incident broke me. When I came into the ring one night, we were working a, a, a dark match, a house show. <clears throat> and this is when they first brought me, I was wrestling. So they said, okay, I forgot who we were wrestling against, but they said, okay, Kat, you go out, you do your show, you do your match, you do your match, and at the end, these guys going to get some heat on you. And then uh, this new guy going to slide in, and uh, you and him finish back-to-back. <clears throat> Y'all clear the ring back-to-back. So I went in, had the match, boom, boom, boom. They, they got in, stumping the mud hole in my ass. The two guys got what match it was. They were stumping the mud hole in my ass. In come this white guy with the damn <clears throat> hip-hop stuff on. Yo, yo, yo. It was John Cena. He slid in the ring, boom, we cleared the ring. We cleared the ring together, back to back. John Cena got the mic and he went, yo, 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 yeah, yeah, you know. And the crowd, like, the crowd was there. But then the crowd started chanting, cat. So he, I reached for the mic and he gave me the mic in my hand and the crowd went crazy. Yeah, the crowd went crazy. I mean, they went crazy because I had the mic and they knew I was about to say something. But then the referee came over and whispered my ear. He said, they said, give the mic back to John Cena. So I gave the mic back. I didn't even say it. I gave it back to John Cena. And then from that moment on, I was like, is it me? Or was it, you know, what was the problem? You know, the dark man, why didn't they want me to say anything? And the crowd wanted me because that's what my gimmick was in WCW. But after that day right there, I had no more confidence. It just started breaking it, diminishing my confidence I had in doing the wrestling to, to after a while. You know, I don't blame anybody else. It was just me. It was just something about me that would trigger that I just didn't feel good anymore. I didn't have the confidence to talk no more or to even go out. You know, in WCW, man, it's like you could go out on the ledge and and go out on your own and do what you do, and people loved it. You know, that Jane Brown thing was, they didn't know it was going to get over, but I was able to say, let's do it, and, and I put my best into it. That commissioner stuff, the only reason they made me the commissioner because what I was doing in the back locker room with everybody, because we was a family. We would go, we would back in the locker room, 
and the whole NWO were back there. Scott Hall, Nash, um, Mr. Perfect, all these guys was in the locker room like they would do. All the boys, what they would do is they'll find one guy and pick on him. So it was my turn, and they were all know me. And I remember I was holding my own with all five of them, just talking to them. Boom, I was holding my own. And Terry Taylor came to me the next day and said, Hey, Cat, I hear you was in the locker room. Here, here goes the mic. Do what you were doing in the locker room yesterday. I said, What are you talking about? He said, he said they were trying to get on you in the locker room, you know, and they said, and Disco and the guy said, you held your own with all those guys talking, you know, and having fun and, you know, and just throwing trash around with each other. You know, my confidence was a confidence builder. But when I got to WWE, it was it was a breaker. It was a break deal for me. And it, you can't blame nobody but me. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just a rough time. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I've heard several accounts from people that were, you know, slotted in your in your spot between you know in, in the two thousands and WWE during that time. And it was just a, the Johnny Ace era. It was just a cutthroat time. I mean, it was one of those times where you could get heat for anything. And like like you went to cut a promo on in a dark match on a house show. But you know what? I wasn't afraid of no damn heat. What the hell the heat gonna do? I was a millionaire. So they fired me what? He I want wasn't nobody gonna kick my ass. Nobody. Nobody in WWE or WCW was going to kick my ass. So I didn't worry about heat. If you got heat, so what? Go scratch your ass. They know you can do to me. You know, that's how I felt. And I wasn't a bully. I was actually kind of quiet. But I wasn't afraid of no heat. What I was afraid of is what they did. Once I broke my, once they, once I figured this is all on me, I I don't know if I can live up to this. It kind of broke my, it, it did. It kind of broke me a little bit, you know, to where I lost my confidence. And I would even say anything sometimes on TV because, you know, that was, listen, I could do something in WCW and soon I hit the back. Somebody was coming up to me say, hey, I like Scott Hall. Hey, Cat, say this a little slower next time, and it's good. What you said was good, but say it a little slow. You do something in WWE, nobody say anything because everybody's afraid to say something because maybe they might get uh, uh, blamed for being a part of it. They may, you know, being on my team or being – it was just everybody was afraid, you know, of, of their job, a lot of people. So, so it wasn't really like a collaborative environment because it, from what you're telling me, it's like you said everything was on you and that's that's cool and all, but at the end of the day, wrestling and any kind of like production is a collaboration, right? I mean, you need a producer or an agent or somebody to coach, not necessarily coach you, but, no, you know. No. Walk, yeah. when, they, when they released me from WCW, Vince Redman's word to me was, and, and, and JR, we came right for you. That kind of, that kind of, I can see it here ringing in my ears. Well, the writers said we, they can't write for you. Well, if the writers can't write for me, get rid of their asses and get people who can write for us. That's their job to write for you. How can that be an excuse to let, uh, to not enhance guys who are talented, who have already showed that they were talented? How can you tell them the only reason? We're not using you and not going to use you. We can't write for you. Don't that sound like it take away from the professionalism of, of your company? When your writers that you went out to search out, to hire, can't write for the talent? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, it's it's sad, but I mean, you're st- it's 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 funny because like your story is very similar to a lot of people's as far as like at the end of WWE, like you got. You, I mean, if people don't realize this, if they're not familiar with that era, like you had a lot of hype videos. They put a lot of money behind those vignettes and things like that, and like everyone's all excited yeah. for the cat. And within like literally a couple, honestly, it was like what two months like on TV on the main roster, and it's just like, and then you're gone like before WrestleMania. I mean, it made no sense, but that was par for the course for a lot of these acts. They they'd get hot on them. They they'd push them, and then like for I don't know, it was like a shiny new toy. Vincent finds something know, else. And, bro, but you know what? Right then, when there's only one company you got, you don't have time to waste. You know, Vince McMahon don't have time to waste on development. Hey, what I want to get the heck get rid of. But you know what? I thought Baptista came in. Baptista was gassed up and juiced up, and but he was terrible when it came to the mic. He was terrible. They were able to write for him. They came up with something for this dude, you know, because he was muscled up, you know. But, hell, how can you be a bad man when you get your ass kicked by Booker T and his wife? Uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 I got nothing. You didn't hear about it. You never heard about that. Oh, no, I heard about it. No, Batista and, and Booker T, from understand, this was like – Oh, like oh five, oh six. They were filming a SummerSlam yeah, commercial. So, they got into a scuffle, but, and Booker T got the better of it. Get the better of it. From what I heard, he got they stumped a mud hole in his ass. Wait, you're saying, wait, 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 hang on. You're saying Charmel also attacked him? It was it was a handicap match oh in the locker room. There was two against one. Oh my god, I never heard that part. Okay. Oh yeah, so shit. So that's what I'm saying. But you know, they can find something to write about this guy. See, you know what? Wrestling never scared me. I'm not afraid to, I'm going to tell you a, a, a difference. And this is how wrestling is. When I did that great movie, that great movie called The Wrestler, I was one of the top stars in there. If you read in the Hollywood Reporter, they said this guy right here stole the scene from a lot of Mickey Rourke stuff that we had to do together. Even the producer was saying, man, you're a talented God, man, this is good, able to act and wrestle. So you stole a lot of scenes. As good as I was in that movie and the character that I played, when it came time to kind of share, share or try to get a lift or get something from that, you know, the wrestler movie, they didn't even come to me. They went to an old last mother actor, Mickey Rourke, and hired Mickey Rourke to come in to do something with the business that I was in. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know. I mean, think about it. Yeah. And Mickey Rudd, they wanted Mickey Rudd to come in and wrestle Chris Benoit, not Chris Benoit, uh, Jericho. But, uh, Jericho in WrestleMania. Damn, why didn't they just bring Ernest Miller? They had a good match. He could have wrestled Ernest Miller at WrestleMania, or Ernest Miller could have been in the corner. It's so much you could have done with that. You know, but... That's how wrestling is, and that's what that's how it is to me. You know, I don't understand it, but when you got people in the business, me, Vince, and I had a great relationship. Vince was Vince will open this door to me whenever I say, "Hey, Vince, can you talk?" Yeah, come on and talk. I used to fly on this plane going to New York from the show, you know, and he always was like, he, he, "And the time I did a couple of times in Royal Rumble, I hit the ring, Dad threw me out." I came back, everybody in there said, hey, Vince was laughing his butt off at you, man. He was. He enjoyed you. He enjoyed you, dearly enjoyed you. 
in the ring like that and dance and doing that, he popped live. Chris Canyon told me that. So Vince really popped for you when you went out there. When it came time for me to leave, Vince sit right there in front of me. I said, so Vince, what's the deal? I said, so JR just said that they're going to release me because they can't write for me. And Vince said, yeah, well, you know, you should have been, you could have been a little bit more like helping them to die. I said, no, listen, how you going to help had to help somebody know somebody need help when they don't ask for it. And then Benjamin Man said, well, you know, Kat, I, I want to keep you around because I really like you and I, you're a good guy in the locker room and you got a good personality. He said, I won't keep you around, but people go say I'm showing favoritism towards you because they know I like you. And I really believe that this did like the, the person that I was. I don't know about the wrestling bit, but he did like the way because he was always you know, hey, Ernest, and hey, Cat, how you doing? His door was always open to me, or for me. And that's, you know, I enjoyed working with him for that. I really enjoyed that part. But it's the other part of the company. You know, people were quiet. People didn't talk. People act like they were on eggshells, you know. But that, was, that wasn't the big show. I think I was on SmackDown. So maybe Raw was a little different with the bigger stars. Yeah, I also think they they kind of their business is kind of structured in a way where it's it's funny. There, a lot of the mistakes they've been making lately, at least creatively, are very comparative to like WCW at the end and TNA at the and TNA before you know they lost like Spike and everything. But the funny thing is like because they're so big and because they're such an institution and because they they do they still do enough stuff right on top of you know like the business deals they have and everything else. It's like they're fine. Like they're like the I think like they're the only company that can make some of the kind of mistakes they've made and, and you know, still be fu- successful because they're an institution and they're, they're too big to fail. But, you know, WCW was still around and WWE wasn't around. WCW could make the mistake that it made that it literally took itself out the yeah. game, you know? It's when you don't have anything to compare or compete with. Right now, WWE, you can say WWE looked like WCW back in the day, but... WWE doesn't have another WWE to com- to compete with, you know. So you get what the hell we want to give you, or don't come, don't come to our shows. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say this from what I've seen, and I don't know how much you've like been around the independents or like the the conventions and stuff like that. But last couple of years, I feel like indie wrestling's been kind of booming, and obviously it's not you know, oh, WCW money that, back that, in the that, day, but it's like, yeah, I, I feel like there's guys that are able to make a living outside of WB now on Fred, a more consistent basis. Fred, let, me, let me tell you this. I wasn't even doing shows. Somebody talked me into doing a couple of shows, and the money is good. It's easy. You know, and it's so funny that I did a show in uh, North Carolina a couple of weeks ago when I wrestled. And some of the old guys like Shane Helms and, and these guys were back in the back. And I actually wrestled a match. And when I came back, you know, Shane Helms, like, Cat, I forgot you was entertaining, man. I forgot how athletic, how entertaining you was in the ring. Because, you know, there's no there's no sweat. There's nobody really trying to – you just get out there and have fun, man. And, and, and they pay you good out there. These young guys don't know where they get the money from, but – you're making some money out there on the indie circuit. And another thing, every indie guy out there looked like one of the WWE guys. You know, back in the day, WWE guys, looked, they looked different from the indie guys. They were bigger, stronger, you know, louder. And now, shit, everything look alike. The indie show looked like a WWE show. 
Well, I mean, look where they got all their talent, right? I mean, most of their talent now came from, whether it's an XT or Raw or SmackDown, a lot of it came from Ring of Honor or it came from New Japan Pro Wrestling or it came from, you know, making their name in the indies and, and the UK and stuff like that. And they just kind of, you know, I'm not saying they don't develop talent anymore. They develop talent, but a lot of their top stars, especially yeah, in NXT, are plucked from... Hey, AIM does no developing talent anymore. They, they're not developing anything. They're taking what's already working out there and just putting it on TV. Nobody's stupid. You know, people out there want to say they develop. Okay, who who's on TV right? Who's on top right now? Uh, Braun Strowman. Yeah. How much development did it take to have a big guy like him come out there and be a big guy? True, true. But, I mean, you know, you look at some of the other big guys they've tried to push. I think it's like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yes you look, no. at the, you look at the big guys that they did to tell, like Brian Adam, Adam Bomb. He was just as big as Braun, but he could bump. He could bump his ass off. That's why they used it, because he was a big man who could bump. He was a big man who looked good. He was a big man that they developed, man. You know, even Bam Bam Bigelow and those big old giant guys, those were developed guys. Those were the guys who just looked big. Those were guys who can bump around, who can, who can do everything. You know what, though? I will say this. I do think that in recent years they've done a really good job from training women from scratch. And I do think if you think about it, even though nobody thinks about him that way, Roman Reigns is he, just a WWE guy. He never wrestled Indies or anything, and he became actually well, pretty never, good. Never, but, but you see how much it takes to get him over, what they yeah. had to do to get him over? Are you for real? I'm, ta- I'm talking about in the ring. I said in the ring he ended up becoming pretty good. Now, he, you know, you make the yeah, argument but, how big a star he is, but in the ring he got pretty good. But look at the push he got. Do you think everybody get up damn stuff down people's throat like that? Come on. How many people get a push like that? True, but I mean, you can make the argument that's the same thing in any company, right? You're always going to have guys that, whatever, whether it be Bischoff or Russo or Vince McMahon or Dixie Carter, Jeff Jarrett, they're going to pick their guys and girls that they're going to push. And I mean, no, I'm not no, saying it's fair. No, I'm, I'm gonna, just, you know. I, I'm going to pick one for you Goldberg. They pushed Goldberg to the moon. How many people going to get a push like that? But guess what? It didn't take Goldberg to get a a long time to get over. Once he got out there, he was able to carry that rock. He was able to carry the ball. And that's all he had to do. These guys today, man, they got a bigger audience. They got social media. They got all kinds of stuff that you didn't have back in those days. And it still take them a little while and a little longer to get over. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think in some ways it's kind of in, in, in what you're touched on. It's kind of like the era of the mid Carter right now. There's nobody that's really more. There's nobody that feels larger than life right now. I mean, you know, I, I think I, th- I think Roman Reigns got to a certain point. Strowman got to a certain point, but like you look at it. I mean, other than John Cena of the last 10, 15 years, they, and and to a lesser extent Batista and Orton, you know, at the time, like who have they really made like in this last decade that's really kind of been sustainable? I mean, Daniel Bryan kind of got himself over more than. Deadly B getting behind him, you know, CM Punk kind of the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know what you're saying in, in that sense. It's like, and you're, we talked about Roman Reigns. Like, Roman Reigns, when, when John Cena was getting over and you were working with John Cena, like, John Cena got to work with Benoit and Guerrero and Brock Lesnar and all these guys that helped get him ready. Whereas now, like, a guy like Roman Reigns or some other guy that's coming up, like, who do they have to, where's their Benoit and Guerrero that they have to get them up to that level? Yeah, 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 well, they're not using Benoit. They use people like Chris Jericho, 
who is just equally as good as Chris Benoit and those guys. Great worker. But it's not many of those guys around to make them look like that. You know? Yeah. Aaron Nye did some of the best matches when Triple H come out of retirement. And so this boots on and get out there and show these young boys how it's done. That's what I that's the that's what I used when it came to martial arts. When I went back to teaching karate, I used to tell people, oh, you know what? I used to do this. This right here will work. And I'm teaching these young guys. But these young generation, this young generation don't want to hear what used to work. Show me. It's a show me time now. So guess what I had to do? I had to put my back on, go to a couple of tournaments, and not fight guys my age, but fight guys half my age just to show people that, okay, now he got it. Next week, next month in March, and next year in March, they inducted me into the Karate Hall of Fame in Atlanta City. Wow, congrats, man. You know, and, but guess what? I've won more tournaments in the years, but they're going by what I'm doing now. Well, what's going on for you in 2019? Well, you know what? I, I, I just signed a contract to develop my own karate show and karate fight show for a network, major network on TV. So I'm in... I think I told you that like, I'm in negotiating right now, putting together uh, the contract, getting fighters, and, uh, you know, just getting that off the ground, getting it ready for 2019. Cool, so, man. you know, I, I, I want to go to a different, another level, and I want to use my unique set of skills from pro wrestling and karate to make this something, you know, people enjoy to watch, entertain people. But other than that, you know, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'm always posting what's coming up next for, for the cat, you know? So look forward to hearing from my fans out there. For sure. Well, hey, man, it's a, it, was a, it was a pleasure talking to you, you know? I, I appreciate you not taking my head off uh, through, the, through the phone and everything. We appreciate all the info, the stories, uh, the, can, <laughs> the, the, the candor. If you want to know more about Ernest the Cat Miller, you can follow him on Twitter at Earn the Cat Miller. We'll post all, all the social links, of course, on our podcast on YouTube. We'll spread it all out there. You see the information okay. on your screen. All right. Thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Fred, thank you for having me, man. Talk to you later.